everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. So if you have your Bibles... Open up to Revelation chapter 5. If you didn't bring one, uh, I'm going to be putting up page numbers, and there are Bibles in the far back corners that will line up. Um, As you do that, I just want to share that last week, uh, Allison, my wife, spoke on Revelation chapter 19, and it it is one of the best talks I've heard in a long time. If you missed it, go back and watch it on YouTube. It was fantastic. The whole service was really beautiful. Um, But I was back in kids serving in the elementary room that day, and I just had a blast. And one of the things I did to help the room calm down, because every once in a while, things would get a little crazy. If you've ever been back with children, you know that this is possible. But uh, I would would say, I'm going to start singing a song And you fill in the words and sing along. So I'd say, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart be sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven, and heaven, and nature. You guys know your Christmas carols. I, uh, I found that I would start some Christmas carols and I would just get lost. And they, the kid, But the kids know them better than I do, so they could carry it. And I realize I do this with the adults sometimes, too. I'll just, like, wait and let you fill in the blank. And if you don't know what goes in that blank, I just don't want you to feel embarrassed. Uh, just... Just keep with us, and as you learn the Bible, uh, you'll be able to fill in those blanks more and more. Now, the second thing that was really fun about playing with the kids is uh, we had a little precursor to Armageddon toward the end of the the time, and uh, we did boys versus girls, and there's beanbags back there, and they created this wall, like two or three beanbags high, uh, across the room. And we had this big box full of these. These are uh, little cotton beanbags, or not beanbags, but uh, (laughs) snowballs. And so I had a big bin in the middle, and I said, okay, I'm going to count down three, two, one, and I started throwing them out. And uh, and it was just like people chucking snowballs at each other. And then toward the end, I was getting toward the bottom, and I could pick up like five or six of those little snowballs, and I'd say, hey, Ashley. And she'd look at me. Uh, I stood in the middle and I had, I had control over the most snowballs. And then I'd say, hey, Malachi. <laughs> he would just get blasted with snowballs. So anyway, it was really fun for me. And uh, speaking, of Ar- speaking of Armageddon uh, and speaking of joy, at the same time, Revelation chapter 5 is the next passage we're going to look at. But in a way, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5 all the way through Revelation chapter 16. So we're covering a lot of ground today, but I I won't read everything, of course. I'll have a video 
uh, later to help summarize a lot of the contents of what happens in the book of Revelation. And we're looking at the book of Revelation during Advent, the time of Christmas, because the word Advent means coming. And so in Christmas, we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward to the second coming of Jesus, where he comes to judge and bring his kingdom to the world in uh, a time where some people have called the apocalypse or Armageddon. But John, who at the beginning of this book says, I'm seeing a vision that is being brought to me by like an angel, but the one speaking is Jesus at times. And he says, I'm showing you things that are, were, and some things that have not yet come to pass, if you know your Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but uh, the idea is not, I don't think that it's a linear diagram of what will happen in the end times. I think it's more of an artistic expression that includes things that have always been true, are true now, and will be true with, of course, a vision at the end of Jesus' kingdom come in its fullness. And so Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we enter into the throne room of God, not just what will happen, but what is happening now, right now. And chapter 4 is largely a passage about worship. But then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then I, John, saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Who's that? God the Father, actually, in this case. Jesus will come in a minute. God the Father, the creator of all things. Good. That was a good guess. And uh, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they're like all kind of, you know, they are one and they are three. So that's, that's not a wrong answer. <laughs> uh, there was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. So then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, weeping. stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah the heir to David's throne, or the imagery here is actually the root of David's throne, because in Isaiah you get imagery about a stump and a tree that had been cut down and a, a shoot begins to grow up. So here we have the, both the root of David's throne and the shoot of David's throne appearing. And it says, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, don't look ahead. Don't look ahead. He hears that there is a lion of the tribe of Judah who is coming to open the scroll. But do you know what he sees when he looks? Allison brought it up last week, the lamb. Then I saw a lamb that looked at us as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns 
which represents like authority and power and seven eyes, which, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. This is actually one of these amazingly beautiful Trinitarian moments because you have God the Father sitting on the throne, Jesus the Son appearing as a lamb that has been slain or sacrificed, and now the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God the Father and God the Son being sent out into all the world. And if you know, in Genesis 1, the very opening verses of the Bible, it says, in the beginning was nothing, except then the Spirit of God begins to hover over the waters like a bird, maybe even like a dove. And then when Jesus is baptized, what happens? Heaven opens up and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. So you have here the Holy Spirit being sent out from the throne room of God to bring about all that God has planned. And this idea of seven eyes actually links us back to another place in the Bible, Zechariah chapter 3. So keep your finger in this revelation, uh, chapter 5. Jump back to Zechariah chapter 3. And I'm doing a lot of this today because I want you to see and understand that to, to understand the symbolism of revelation, it helps to have a guide that will help you link to the reference points that you find in other places in Scripture. So Zechariah chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, and all your other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant the branch, which is a reference to Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the root and the shoot of David's throne. Now look at the jewel I have set before Jeshua, a single stone with seven facets. Now remember, this is an English translation that's trying to make things easy to read, but not always the most literal. And you get a clue sometimes by that little, if you have the NLT, there's a little asterisk. When you jump down, this stone has chapter 3, verse 9, in Hebrew, it is seven eyes. How can a stone have seven eyes? Why it is the lamb, and in particular the Holy Spirit here, represent or get represented as something with seven eyes? Well, it's a link back here to Zechariah chapter 3. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. This points us back to the lamb that was slain. At the end of the day, we are reminded that the book of Revelation is about the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of all things. Zechariah 3 verse 10 paints just a little picture of what this redeemed world looks like when it says, on that day, says the, Lords of the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you 
will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. So just in a little picture, we get a sense of what God's kingdom looks like. You're, in, you're enjoying peace with your neighbor under this tree that provides like these sweet little fruits and this vine that produces the wine that you will drink to celebrate the day of Jesus coming. Back to Revelation chapter 5. The lamb, verse 7, stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Let's just quickly mention these four living beings show up in Revelation chapter 4, and they have like really weird portrayals. They're like, one of them is like an ox, and one of them is like a lion, and the third has a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. These are representative of all of creation, of the created order. And the 24 elders are most likely, probably, uh, the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel, but also the 12 apostles or disciples of Jesus. So we have the people of God in its, in its fullness as they are represented in the Old Testament and in the New Testament surrounding the throne. And in verse 8, they fall down before the Lamb and worship. And the Bible's very clear. You only worship who? God. This is one of those little pointers to say, God the Father, God the Son, and remember, this is a Trinitarian moment, God the Holy Spirit. Good. Each one had a harp, and they had a gold bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now, if you're reading this, and you hear about this scroll, and you hear about this lamb, what do you want to know? What's written on the scroll? But what does John tell you? Verse 9. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. You're wanting to know what's on the scroll. John says, this is a place of worship. That's ultimately like what worship means, to say you are worthy. God, you are worthy. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are holy. And what you find in the book of Revelation is that even as all these like gory seemingly terrible things are happening all across the world, when you pull back the curtain of heaven, there are two things that are true. God is sitting on the throne. He's the one in control, and he is being worshiped. So again, keep your finger in chapter five, but you don't have to turn the page more than once to see 
that there is more worship in chapter 7. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You don't have to turn very far, like, to get from seals to trumpets. Turn the page again. There's worship. We give thanks to you, Lord. You see how it's a little bit indented? It makes it easy to find all the worship in Revelation. We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have come to reign. You turn the page again. Great and marvelous are your works. See that down at the bottom right-hand corner? Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. You turn the page again. Chapter 16, you are just, O Holy One, who is and always was because you have sent these judgments. You turn the page again. Verse nine, or chapter 19, praise the Lord. Are you getting it? Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. There is something going on in the midst of apocalypse and judgment and signs and plagues that fuels the life of God's people. For anyone who has turned toward Jesus, even in the midst of all this strife, yet there is worship. And I think it is what sustains God's people. So let's go back. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Now, do you remember, what do you remember about this scroll? It has seven seals. What else do you remember? Writing on both sides. This is another one of those details that you think, I wonder why that's mentioned in particular. Why, like duplex printing, okay, saving paper, good job, thank you. You know, I guess God it, like, cares about the environment. It's true, by the way, not what this is meaning. Uh, but, but let's go with me now to Ezekiel chapter 2. You find that Revelation is full of all kinds of symbols, and uh, a lot of the symbols are drawn from one of three or four places. Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah. And the fourth place, interesting enough, is the vineyard book of the year, Leviticus. We did a long series in Leviticus. Can you believe it? I bet you do if you were in that series because Leviticus has its fingers all throughout the Bible. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9. Then I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and it held a scroll, which he unrolled. And I saw that both sides were covered in writing. What's in the scroll? With funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. The voice said to me, Son of man, eat what I am giving you. Eat this scroll. Then go and give its message to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Fill your stomach with this, he said, and then I ate it. And it tasted as sweet as honey 
on my mouth. Is that what you, is that what you would expect to scroll with laments and pronouncements of doom to taste like? Here's another one of the true things about Revelation and Judgment Day in the Apocalypse. It is bittersweet. And what we find on the scroll includes really what will happen in the next several chapters of the book of Revelation. God's judgment comes. And there is vindication for God's people, but there are consequences for people who have rejected God, who have exploited the poor, who have no desire to let anybody rule their life but themselves, who do not want God to say what is good and evil. They want to say for themselves what is good and evil. Sounds just a little bit like post-modernity to me. But, as I said, there is vindication for God's people. And this scroll, which represents God's coming judgment, also represents a covenant that he made with his people. If you will turn toward me and follow my ways, I will protect you and I will bless you and I will give you an inheritance. And that's that's also as loud and clear as the pronouncement of judgment, the idea that this scroll contains an inheritance. And that would have been understood by the people of John's day because it was uncommon for scrolls to have writing on both sides unless it was a like will and testament. And so we get a little bit of a clue as to what that inheritance looks like if we continue to read this little worship song in the middle of John chapter 5. So John chapter 5, I'll just start at verse 9 again. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And this group of people that represents like the grace and love of God that extends throughout the world, the invitation to his wedding feast, reference to last week, is this group is going to come up again in Revelation and again in Revelation. And that will be highlighted here in a second. But it's the, it's the multi-ethnic, multicultural, diverse beauty of God's people. And you, it says, verse 10, have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. So two things about this inheritance. The first is that kingdom of priests language. Do you remember our Leviticus series? Deuteronomy says, I will make you a nation of priests. What does it mean to be a priests? priest? It means to stand in that place between heaven and earth, between what God desires and has designed for a person and the reality, between what God has designed for this planet and his people and the reality of like the, you know, bad choices. And like, let's just, we'll use pollution as a metaphor here. 
the pollution of his good creation. And the second thing is, and they will reign on the earth. Genesis chapter one. God blessed them. You don't have to go there. And said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This is a redemptive move to restore what God intended in the Garden of Eden at creation. This is the inheritance. To be ransomed, to be long body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. To be a kingdom of priests for our God and to rule on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on where earth, not just a heaven rea- heavenly reality and on the earth reality and under the sea and in the sea. And they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the lamb sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So when we sing here in a few minutes, we are joining in the song of heaven here on the earth. We are joining with all creation who, because I mean, did you know that the fish in the sea worship (laughs) that the birds in the air worship because they are doing exactly what God designed them to do. When the dolphins do their dolphin-y things. <laughs> That's a little bit of an inside joke. The dolphin's my favorite animal for reasons I'm not going to share. When dolphins do their dolphin-y things, they are worshiping the Lord their God because they were designed to play and to swim and to sing. And it's really the human's we're like the one group that we, we do not often do as we were designed to do, to worship as we were designed to worship. And this is why we need the slain lamb. And the four living beings said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. Now, what happens next is the lamb begins to open the seals. And you end up with seven seals being opened with seven series of events. And after that, you have seven trumpets being blown with seven things that happen. And with a little bit of an interlude, you have seven bowls that are poured out. And the temptation might be to say like, okay, first the seven seals happen and then the seven trumpets are blown and then the seven bowls are poured out. Like if you're trying to build a diagram of heaven, the thing that would be confusing is after the seven seals, you find there's judgment day and final victory. And, and in the like, in one of the seals that's open, that actually kind of contains the seven trumpets And at the end of the seven trumpets, you have judgment day. And then at the end of the seven bowls, you have judgment day. 
like the final battle and the final victory. And so I don't think putting this on a timeline is super helpful, but thinking of them maybe like Russian nesting dolls where each series of seven adds a little more intensity or a little more clarity as you open up the next. And if you've ever read John the gospel and heard Jesus speak, you're like, are we talking in circles? I think that's what's happening here. If you've ever read 1 John or 2 John or 3 John, his letters, he makes his point by saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. So I'm, I want to show this video, again, from the Bible Project. And, oh, guys, buckle up. <laughs> we cover a lot of ground here. And I've watched this video 10 times. And every time I watch it, I think, whoa. <laughs> uh, so, so. Engage your brains, pay attention. Let's play that first video. So the slain lamb begins to open the scroll's first four seals. And John sees four horsemen. It's an image from the book of Zechariah chapter 1. And they symbolize times of war, conquest, famine, and death. In other words, a tragically average day in human history. Then the fifth seal depicts the murdered Christian martyrs before God's heavenly throne. And the cry of their innocent blood rises up before God like smoke from the altar of incense. And they're told to rest because more Christians are yet to die. We're not told why, but we are told that it won't last forever. The sixth seal is God's ultimate response to their cry. He brings the great day of the Lord that was described in Isaiah and Joel, and the people of the earth cry out, who is able to stand? And then all of a sudden, John pauses the action with an intermission to answer that question. John sees an angel with a signet ring coming to place a mark of protection on God's servants who are enduring all this hardship. And he hears the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. It's a military census, like the one in the book of Numbers, chapter 1. There are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, pay attention. The number of this army is what John heard, just like he heard about the conquering lion of Judah. But in both cases, what he then turned and saw was the surprising fulfillment of those military images in Jesus, the slain lamb. So when he sees this messianic army of God's kingdom, it's made up of people from all nations, fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. It's this multi-ethnic army of the lamb who can stand before God because they've been redeemed by the lamb's blood. And now they are called to conquer, not by killing their enemies, but by suffering and bearing witness just like the lamb. After this, the seventh and final seal is broken. But before the scroll is opened, the seven warning trumpets emerge and fire is taken from the incense altar. It symbolizes the cry of the martyrs and it's cast onto the earth, bringing the day of the Lord to its completion. Now, with the seven trumpets, John backs up and he retells the story again, this time with images from the Exodus story. So the first five trumpet blasts replay the plague sent upon Egypt, and then the sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came from the first four seals. But then John tells us that despite all these plagues, the nations did not repent, just like Pharaoh didn't in the Exodus story. So it seems that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. There's a little break in Revelation, a little, John gets a little sidetracked and he, he does four, I think the best way to describe them is like vision signs, uh, which include, if you've read through this book, which God bless you if you have, um, there's an angel in a small scroll, there's two witnesses, there's the woman and the dragon, which I think I'm going to talk about on Christmas Eve. Does that sound fun? 
there's the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth. Uh, and then we have, there's like an eternal gospel that's being pronounced. And uh, then we end up with the seven bowls, which are in this next video. Now, throughout all these sign visions, John is placing a stark choice before the seven churches. Will they resist the lure of Babylon and follow the Lamb? Or will they follow the beast and suffer its defeat? Now that the choice is clear, John replays a final cycle of seven divine judgments symbolized as pouring out seven bowls. Now we know from the Lamb's scroll and from the sign visions that many among the nations do repent. But as the exodus plagues are repeated and poured out through the bowls, there are many people who do not repent. They resist and curse God just like Pharaoh. And so it all leads up to the sixth bowl. As the dragon and the beasts, they gather the nations together to make war against God's people in a place called Armageddon. This refers to a plain in northern Israel where many battles were fought by Israel against invading nations. And some people think that this sixth bowl refers to an actual future battle. Other people think that it's a metaphor for God's final justice on evil. Either way, John's clearly taken images from the book of Ezekiel about God's battle with Gog. Gog was Ezekiel's symbol of the rebellious nations gathered before God to face his justice. And that's what comes in the seventh bowl. It's the fourth and final depiction of the day of the Lord when evil is defeated among the nations once and for all. Now, John has fully unpacked the message of the Lamb's unsealed scroll. Whoa. Did you get all that? No, I'll... Uh... If you get those texts about the vineyard resource share, resource as in like I sometimes send you videos and podcasts and articles, uh, I'll, I'll send these videos out to you. If you want to be on that and are not, the, the, the connect card on the, the digital, right now it's digital. Go to the website, fill it out. Um, what do I do next? <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to keep going <laughs> a little bit? A little bit, then we'll worship. Uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter 6. And uh, I was going to maybe read from Leviticus a little. I just don't think I have the time. So, remember, when the Lamb opens the first seal, well, I'll just read. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched the Lamb broke the first seal of the seven scrolls, then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on its head. He rode out to win many battles and gained victory. So uh, who, who in the book of Revelation rides a white horse? Do you guys know? Jesus. How many of you think that this first writer is Jesus? I want you to either shake your head yes or shake your head no. Who thinks that this white writer is Jesus? You're just looking at me like, I have no idea. <laughs> this feels like a trick. <laughs> Let me ask the question a slightly different way. Do you think that this is Jesus or do you think this is an imposter pretending to be Jesus, promising peace and prosperity, but bringing death and plague and war. I think it's the second one. 
because this horseman is one of the four horsemen that is later, I mean, the other horsemen, one being red and one being black and one being just pale, gross. They bring death and war and plague. And so you have this imposter that we might call Satan or the devil that goes out and brings destruction. But we know that the people of God are protected as they worship. In the letters to the seven churches, it actually describes faithful commitment to Jesus as conquering. But what does that mean exactly? Let's, let's turn to Luke 21 a second. This is one of the places where Jesus actually talks about this day of the Lord, this coming judgment. And I'm going to just read a little part of it. And I think this will be kind of the, like this can be the takeaway. Let's start with verse 12. Did I say which verse? Yeah. Oh, let's start with verse 11, 10. Oh man, let's start with verse 10. Then Jesus added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before kings and governors because... You are my followers. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you. Your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you and everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair on your head will perish by standing firm. You will win your souls. Did anybody catch that sounds like nonsense? Not a hair on your head will perish and some of you will be killed. We love our lives. We love our toys. We love this life is what I mean. But in, in the biblical sense, death is not the end and death is not destruction. And so even though we hear Jesus say, some of you will be killed, most of you will be hated for, for standing <laughs> with me as your king. The promise remains, you will not perish. You will be protected. I will be with you. And so I think what's, what's being, what the encouragement is for all who love and follow Jesus is even though there is evil all around, 
we turn our attention to the slain lamb who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him. And so too do we. For the joy set before us, we endure this day. The scorn, the shame, the hate. Though there is evil all around, we turn our attention to Jesus, the lamb who was slain. And we conquer, not as an army with spears and shields and swords, but we conquer as a people and gain victory through our suffering, first of all, and through bearing witness through standing so that people might hear us give the reason for the hope that we have, so that people might hear us with our voices and with our actions and with our character, the person that we worship. Though there is evil all around us, we turn our attention to the lamb that was slain. Let's pray. Come, Jesus. Give us wisdom. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to live life in accordance with your will, even as the pressures of this world surround us and the struggles and the, the pain and the grief would seem to overwhelm us, we look to you, Jesus, and we remember that it is you God, our Father, who sits on the throne, and that our eternal fate is secure, and that your love will win the day. And that is why we worship. So please stand. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.